Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you Chapter 18 from the Tire Tracks by James W. Knox. True stories of childhood, adventure, exploration, and friendship. Chapter 18, Rains and Forts. Here it comes! Kyle shouted, hands gripping the handlebars of his bike, his foot perched atop the pedal, his head and shoulders twisted way about so he could see behind him. Steady! Steady! Not yet! James replied as they watched the wall of pouring rain creeping down Fairway Drive. It was a blistering hot afternoon. Where the boys stood, wrapped about their bicycles, the sun was pouring forth his full strength. The shell road was pulsing with heat and burning the bottoms of the boys' bare feet. Visible waves of invisible fire shimmered in the distance. Sweat rolled down their faces and necks. Yet only a few hundred yards away, the sky was dark as night, but blue as the ocean. And inside a wall of boiling clouds, thunder cannons crashed and torrents of rain were smashing down upon the tire tracks. I can feel it, Kyle cried out as a rush of cool air shot forth ahead of the water wall. Just as the spray began to tap at their backs, James yelled, Now! And the boys leaped upon one pedal and then another and threw themselves forward in a wild attempt to outrun the onrushing rain. As the downpour roared up behind them, it shot forth a steady wave of wet wind which pushed the boys forward at incredible speeds. Their bikes seemed to fly over the unseen ground as they cut through the heat before them, bolstering by the or bolstered by the roaring cool behind them. Crash! came a lightning bolt. All right, Kyle hollered in response. Kabam! The sky exploded just behind them. Give it all you've got! James cried to himself as much as to his friend. It was the perfect summer storm where massive rain was soaking the ground, and yet five feet away the sun was drenching everything in blinding light. How the boys relished finding the place where... They, these two great powers collided and racing to try and stay just ahead of the downpour on foot, which they never accomplished, and on their bikes, which worked for a short while. The trouble with racing the summer rains was that their opponents never seemed to tire. Go, go, go! Kyle urged. We're going to do it! They were racing nearer and nearer to the driveway of Kyle's house. One quick turn, a shot round its slight bend, and they would be under the shelter of the carport and celebrating their victory. We've got it this time, James yelled. They leaned hard to the left. So far, they had to put one foot on the ground to keep from tipping over and curled from the shell road onto the concrete driveway. At that second, a sizzling hiss rose up as the rain surged forward and threw itself upon the red-hot cement. A cloud of steam rose up to strike the boys as a massive wash from above instantly drenched them. Whoa! They both screamed as the naughty rain caused their tires to loose their grip upon the driveway. 
Unable to strengthen, out of their turn, the boys went crashing to the ground. Still atop their bikes, still moving at top speed, they slid along the concrete. The sound of metal bicycle parts grinding, the pain of flesh was being torn from legs and elbows. The giddy joy, as the rain celebrated its last second victory, the explosion of another shot from the artillery in the sky, all blended together in a great climax to a thrilling race. Boy on bike and bike on boy slid onto the lawn. Trying to clutch all the places that hurt, Kyle and James rolled about beneath the downpour. That was so close, James said in mixed tones of thrill and disappointment as he looked at the long patch of blood where skin had so recently covered his leg. Where was the finish line? Kyle asked hopefully, checking to see if his aching elbow was broken or merely smashed. I am pretty sure we got to the driveway first. We were racing to the garage. We were racing to the garage or the driveway. Are we wet? James asked in resignation, rolling onto his back to look into the face of the victorious storm clouds. Completely Kyle admitted, rubbing his throbbing hip. Rain was one more wonder of the tired tracks. It could turn smaller trails into mud paths. It filled ponds and lakes and canals. Short ones could turn a sweltering day into a comfortably cool one, or turn a long walk home on a cool day into a torrentious trek across at Ar Arctica. Uh, downpours like the ones James and Kyle raced on their bikes would drive away afternoon heat, but would leave behind them miserable humility which melted your skin and made it stick to your clothes, and also summoned forth clouds of angry insects who could not fly high enough to strike at the clouds which woke them from their sleep and so took out their fury on the nearest boy. When hurricanes came, they provided all kinds of fun. Mid-storm, the eye would pass over and you could venture out to find baby birds and squirrels which had been blown from their homes. Uh, you could hurry about to find huge limbs or even entire trees uh, which had fallen. You could ride makeshift rafts down flooded streets and wade out into puddles to see how deep they were. After the storms passed, days of fun were had had climbing in the massive root systems which had been ripped from the ground and the large limbs of downed trees. Best of all were the storms that completely flooded the golf course. This allowed you to run at top speed through ankle-deep or knee-deep water in places where you knew a lake or ditch had to be but exactly where these were located could not be seen. It was only when you plunged into one that you knew where terra firma gave way to Aqualand. As mentioned before, this was even more fun on a bike, until once a bike was lost in the lake on hole 18. Forts were also part of life on the tire tracks. The first fort the boys ever made 
was constructed with the help of many friends on Fairway Circle. It was well situated between two large growths of bamboos, which grew so thickly that none could pass through them. Bits and pieces of just about anything were piled together to make high walls on the other two sides. This fort was named for Daniel Boone, not the real one, but the one on TV, and was the scene of many great battles against Germans, Japanese, Indians, and monsters. It was nearly abandoned when rats infested the bamboo one winter and was ordered destroyed after participants in the Great Pinecone War were seriously injured and police were called out to give soldiers on both sides a stern lecture on putting out an eye. The one thing all threats from grown-ups had in common in those times was that someone was in danger of being half-blind when the adventure was finished. Never did a teacher, parent, or lawman say that somebody could break an arm, lose a tooth, puncture an eardrum, or make reference to the thousand other ways children actually got hurt. But time and again came the warning, Don't you know you could have poked out your eye? These threats never meant much until the boys tangled with the big one-eyed banana spider kid, after which they wondered if maybe they could lose an eye by throwing rocks or dirt or sand or shooting BBs or fireworks at someone, but it seemed unlikely. Once the boys found a large pile of rubbish on the west circle and were more than happy to discover that the large white things that were not quite boards and were not quite sheets that were made of something they did not know were light and easy to carry. They hauled them into the center of the circle and set them carefully between small pine trees. It was grand to have such large sections of building materials. By the time they were finished, their hands and arms and clothes had been made white by the chalky nature of the boards that did not seem much like uh, wood. A few days later, another pile of debris was found in the same area, which included an old sofa and a couple of worn, well-worn chairs. These were gleefully added to what had been dubbed Snowy Fort. Throughout the winter, more and more gifts of trash appeared in different parts of the circle, and James and Kyle enlarged the fort and added a three-legged table, a wildly broken mirror, and made them look crazy. A record player, which either did not play or could not play at the, as the fort lacked electricity, but when they put a transistor radio behind it, they had music. They even found a, a mat which read, Well, cool which they put on the inside as enemies were certainly not Welco at Snowy Fort. Many a happy afternoon or evening was spent there. Not a few fierce battles were fought in and around the noble structure, but then came a great disaster. It was about the time spring surrenders to summer, and the boys had brought all of their guns and grenades and knives, each made of the finest and firmest green plastic to fight against the Russians. 
Kyle had worn his helmet, which was sometimes a football helmet and sometimes a fighter pilot helmet, but today was needed to protect him from enemy fire. James had found a long metal pipe in one of the rubbish piles and used his technical skills to turn it into a cannon and a bazooka. It switched rapidly from one to the other as the battle demanded. Taking heavy fire over here, Kyle shouted as he adjusted his helmet. We've got a huge force of commies on the right flank. Heavy shells pounding this side too, James called out. I'm going to hit him with some big stuff. With that, he drove the end of the pipe deep into the ground and began to fire one imaginary mortar after another. Kyle fired away at wave after wave of advancing Russian troops. Never seen so many bad guys, he called darting from the cover of one tree then another, pausing to push back the helmet that kept falling down over his eyes and then blasting away with more rounds of invisible bullets. Too much heat over here. I can't hold them, James cried. Retreat! Retreat! With that, the boys ran for the cover of Snowy Fort, hoping its white walls would not be seen in the north woods of Siberia. Squarely hitting a tree in his haste, Kyle tossed away the annoying helmet. The two soldiers scrambled inside their bastille, crouched behind its ramparts, held their fire, and listened. The brief silence brought them a little hope. Perhaps they could not be seen, but then it began to rain. Slow, steady rain fell. If it turns to snow, it could hide us, and we might get out of here alive, Kyle suggested. But no sooner did he offer this word of hope than despair came in its place. Look, James said with a hollow voice. Look at the walls! Right before their eyes, the great panels which made up their fort were melting. The rainwater was turning them into gooey chalk, and the walls began to ooze away, forming white globs of what looked like paste upon the ground. Their fort was disintegrating right before their eyes. Oh no! Kyle called out. We've been nuked! The Russians finally did it! James screamed, grabbing his face. They're Set off an atomic atom bomb. The boys staggered about, died horrible deaths, got up and died another one, and then another, as soldiers fell one by one all over the snowy fort. The rain kept falling. Soon all the troops had perished in the fallout from the nuclear explosion. The war was over. The two young explorers were left to look at a very odd scene. Where high walls once stood, there were now only white lines running along the ground with stripes of curled wet paper strewn atop them. The furniture, which had looked so cozy when surrounded by a fortress, looked quite bizarre sitting in the middle of the woods. Before we ever fight the Russians again, we will have to find some school desks, James said as they gathered up their Weapons to head for home. Kyle began to laugh, kicking his helmet once for good measure before picking it up. Tree forts could be the greatest places on earth or places of real disaster. 
their good points were many. Uh, you were high up in the branches, which allowed you to see long distances. You could put food on the branches and watch birds and squirrel come to take it, tempting them to come closer and closer with each morsel you set out. You could throw paper airplanes and watch them soar. Bombs could be dropped on anything that did or did not really pass below. They also had their drawbacks. You could fall out of them and break both your arms at the same time, like Mark H. did once. You could drop things of value on the way up or down and hear them break when they crashed on the ground below, like everyone did at one time or another. Worst of all, you could get caught in someone else's tree fort and realize there is no way to escape. Jamie F. was a teenager, and he owned a really nice tree fort made of wood that all looked the same. Uh, this was no patchwork job made of scraps, but an on-purpose job. A few times James and Kyle had passed by the place when some older boys were there. From high above, the big kids shouted threats and curses and threw things and warned the two explorers to never come near their treehouse. Well, that only made Kyle and James long to climb the nice short boards, evenly spaced and running up the tree trunk. One night, the boys went out under the cover of darkness, scurried up into Jamie's tree fort, stayed as long as they dared, left making certain nothing had been moved, hurried back down the ladder of boards, and sped away quite proud of themselves. A few weeks later, knowing the older kids were in school, an hour later than the younger ones, they raced to the fort and once inside moved everything just a bit and went away wishing they could listen in when the teenagers came and saw things slightly out of place. Not long after, the boys knew they had accomplished their purpose when a car pulled alongside them as they rode their bikes and Jamie stuck his big, round, rubbery face out the window and yelled, You better stay out of my treehouse! He pointed and shook his fist, and the car sped away. Taking up the challenge, the boys headed out a couple of weeks later to reenact the Boston Tea Party. They took home some finger paints from art class and decorated their faces. Kyle put on a headdress he had gotten at an amusement park park. It seemed he had a hat for everything. James brought a small hatchet from his garage that he was that was never used for anything and wore it on his belt. Under the cover of darkness, they made their way out to Jamie's treehouse, crept up the stairs, and tossed every bale of tea, actually pillows, magazines, and such, out the windows and onto the ground below. Then they raced back to Boston Town to rejoice in their attack upon the British. It might have been a few weeks. It could have been months. All that can be said with, with certainty is that it was a beautiful sunny day, and James and Kyle were walking happily through the forest, following one more rabbit trail through the grass and the trees, chatting wildly about one subject after another when... Ah! came screams from the woods around them. Get them! 
one voice roared. Momentarily, paralyzed by fear, the boys caught slight glances of four large forms hurtling toward them, two from each side. Before they could run, they felt themselves slammed to the ground and knew the pain of heavy bodies landing on top of them and driving them into the dirt. There were punches and kicks and snarls and laughter. James could see nothing but glimpses of swinging arms and delirious faces. He could hear Kyle moaning as he took blow after blow. Someone said, Pick him up! This way! And James was yanked up by the shirt and thrown over the shoulder of a large boy. Hanging upside down, he looked back to see his friend in a similar circumstance. He saw that Kyle was bleeding from his nose and lip and felt sorry for his friend. As they jostled, jostled along down the trail, it was evident there would be no escape. The boys did not have to wonder long what would come next. Right here, said the ringleader. The boys carrying James stopped running and flipped him onto the ground. With a thud, Kyle landed beside him. James glared angrily into the face of Jamie F. and three other forms looming over him. I told you not to mess with my treehouse, the oafish teenager shouted. Turning to his friends, he ordered, Pull off their shirts. It's time they learned a lesson. There, he pointed, demanding, Drag them through that. As one of the gang grabbed him by the ankles, James looked in the direction to see which Jamie F. was pointing and saw a huge patch of bright green plants about six inches high, each sporting the prettiest white flowers. He gritted his teeth and steeled himself for what was coming. All right, exclaimed the boy who had cowed by the wrists. Pull them through the stinging nettles. And they did again and again. Thousands of little spines, each full of just enough poison to raise painful welts pricked the boys on their backs and down their legs. When that was done, they were flipped over to take the abuse on their bellies and chests. The teenagers laughed. The two fallen explorers cried. They were tears of pain, but tears of frustration as well, for there was nothing they could do but take their bitter medicine. After what seemed like a year, the big boys, the big kids, tired of their sport. The three of them began to walk away. Jamie F. stood triumphantly over two battered pals, pointed his blobby finger down at them, and shouted one word at a time, Don't ever touch my tree fort again! He kicked some sand on them for emphasis and waddled off down the trail. Unable to move, James and Kyle watched the four forms disappear into the distance. There was not a place on their bodies that did not hurt. When they finally worked up the nerve to look at themselves and then at each other, what they saw was one huge red swollen mass on the front and one on the back of their aching torsos. Their arms and legs and even faces were blistered from the stinging nettles. They were bruised and scraped and humiliated. Eventually, they climbed to their hands and knees, helped each other to their feet, and then 
Leaning upon one another, they began the slow, agonizing trek toward home. They did not say much. There was little to say, and no strength with which to say it. Step by step, they dragged themselves along the narrow path, then onto the main road, and made the turn toward home. As they passed a familiar place, where a small bit of a trail snuck into the woods, James nudged his traveling companion and stopped him. How, my dearest friend? James spoke from painfully aching lips. There is something I must do, and would like for you to join me. Kyle knew the spot where they were standing. That little gap in the grass led to Jamie F.'s fort, uh, tree fort. He had no desire to participate in whatever James had on his mind, but he said with no emotion, We are this close to dying together. May as well finish the job. Without another word, they started down the path. As they got closer and closer to the tree, which held the fine fortress of their fat foe, James gained strength and quickened his pace. He had suspected the older boys would have gone home after their conquest, and he was right. The treehouse was silent when they reached the base of the big water oak. Would you help me up these steps? James said to Kyle as he strained to put one swollen leg on the first peg and reached one arm above his head. Ouch, he said softly. Kyle dutifully gave his friend a boost and watched as he strained to reach the top of the row of boards. There James paused to catch his breath. He had planned on shouting, but could not. So he reached up and placed his right hand on the side of the tree fort and said defiantly, Touched it! Kyle suddenly cheered. Silently, Kyle silently cheered. James slid down the side of the tree. They walked slowly home as they did a warm rain began to fall, washing the blood and dirt from their bodies and making their thousands of stings feel just a bit better. Kyle's father was working in the carport as the boys stumbled across the yard to the house. What happened to you two, the two of you? He exclaimed with more of a laugh than a note of concern in his voice. They struggled to tell him as much of the story as they could. Better start lifting weights, he said coolly. Don't want to spend your lives getting beaten up like that. James said goodbye to his friend and forced himself on across the golf course. As he entered his house, his mother asked without leaving the meal she was cooking on the stove, What happened to you? James repeated the account of the beating. Well, you better get a bath and get that covered up, or you might just get some more when your father learns you were in other people's things. Parents were like that once upon a life uh, a time. Next time, chapter 19, A Week in the Northwest Territory. This book and many others can be found at www. .jameswnox.org or going to store.jameswnox.org and again join me next time for chapter 19 from the tire tracks titled A Week in the Northwest Territory.
by James W. Knox.